Good afternoon, everybody. It's quarter past five. It's Steph. It's the 29th of May, 2006. How are you? <laughs> Come by the boards and let us know. Having some very interesting conversations there. And on having a look at the logs for Free Domain Radio, for the podcast downloads, I see that in the last six or so days, we've broken 100 new listeners uh, every, uh, every week or so, which is great. I haven't gotten around to analyzing how many of them get to the second podcast. I'm sure it's not exactly 100%, more like 200%, because that's why I have an arts degree. But I am pleased about that. Of course, thanks to everyone who's doing outreach, uh, and thanks to those of you who've contributed to the quality of the conversations that are going on here. I appreciate it, and hopefully future generations of people who may be a little bit more free because of what we're doing here appreciate it too. So... Let's talk about something. I've been meaning to get to this for a while, and I have had a sort of minor pause on uh, the topics coming in from the board. There have been some discussions on the the recent podcast, the one from yesterday, some discussions on whether or not it is a cult, which is a good... Um, a good discussion to have, of course. It's always good to double-check these things. And if you want to go to freedomainradio.com forward slash B-O-A-R-D, you can look up that topic. You just look you know, for the podcast number. People usually put it in the header. Well worth having a look at the discussion about whether I am um, uh, the uh, Jimmy Jones type or more of the uh, not-so-Jimmy Jones type. <laughs> but it's a good discussion. You might want to check it out. So I've had a minor breather so I can get back to my list of preordained topics. Now, the topic that I would like to get to today is a topic that is related to minarchism, but not specific to the kind of stuff we talked about about a week and a half ago. And the topic is this. Eternal vigilance is the price of liberty, saith Benjamin Franklin, our good founding father. And this is something that you see quite a lot in minarchistic debates, or in debates about the state. And it really is, to use the parlance of a modern, uh, sort of postmodern kind of usage, it is a severe case of blaming the victim. When I say blaming the victim, <laughs> I'm not talking about uh, the kinds of things that are usually meant, like a woman uh, marries an abusive guy, is not exactly a victim, in my particular understanding of it. Of course, she is a victim to the degree that she was victimized as a child, but as she gets older, if she continues to uh, not examine her own history, to justify it, to normalize it, ends up with an abusive guy, stays around, exposes her children to it, it's a little hard to see how she's still a victim in the same way. And so I know, I know that it breaks down the self-esteem of the woman or the man to be abused and all that and that and that. I understand that. I went through it as a child, and so if I can survive it having gone through it as a child and emerge a strong and confident human being, then it seems to me that it's uh, somewhat likely that a woman who is an adult, can, who has a lot more options than a child, might actually have the wherewithal to get up and get out of that kind of relationship. So in that sense, I wouldn't really say that it's a strong victim situation, for there to be, say, uh, you know, your spouse is, uh, is nagging at you or beating up on you or whatever. However, of course, children are always the victims, right? And whatever happens to you as a child is not your fault. I mean, the worst that happens to you as a child, the more you can be proud for achieving a noble soul as an adult. I look at my own past as not something to be ashamed of, but something to have been proud to overcome. 
And so children are always victims. Now, let's have a look at this idea that the, the price of liberty is eternal vigilance and that citizens are responsible for controlling the growth of the state. I find it an absolutely fascinating idea. And I would take that idea with a great degree of seriousness if it came from just one person. Just one person is all I'm asking uh, to tell me about this idea. And the one person that I want to tell me about the idea that the size of the state is the responsibility of the citizenry, the one person who will have credibility, who will tell me this idea, is the person who's figured out how to do it. That's all I'm asking for. Oh, I'm not asking for the world here. I'm not asking for people to levitate or to throw a lasso around the moon and pull it in. I'm just asking for somebody who says that it is the responsibility of citizens to control the size and power of the state. I would just love for that one person to be somebody who'd actually achieved it. That's all. If you've got this theory, all I would ask is that somebody show me how it's ever been uh, achieved. That would be great. Of course, this is never the case. Never, never, never the case. Wherever you have an enormous power disparity, the capacity of the victim to effect change is diminished thereby, right? So if I'm one pound heavier than you in a wrestling match, then we can be said to have more or less a fair fight. However, if I am, I guess, my 210, 215 pounds, and you are four years old, then it might be said that it's not the fairest wrestling match in the world. So it uh, really is uh, the case that where there is a, the greater the power disparity, the less the moral injunction on the victim on the receiving end, on the diminutive end of, diminutive end of the power uh, seesaw, the less is the responsibility of that person. Now, there are, of course, uh, three great power disparities in the mental and physical world. Three, count them, three great power disparities, all of which are interlinked, as I have been saying, lo, these many podcasts. The first, of course, is parent to child. The second, of course, is state to citizen. And the third is God to man. All of these power disparities are absolutely ginormous. In ascending order, they are, in terms of uh, the least power disparity to the greatest power disparity, the least power disparity is a state to citizen. The greatest power disparity is God to man. And the one that's in the middle is parent to child. It's only because God is infinite, all-knowing, and eternal that the, and can cast you in hell for eternity. All these things that the parents just don't have the power to do. And, of course, you outgrow uh, parents, but very few of us seem to have had the ability to outgrow God. So these uh, three power disparities are absolutely enormous. Now, it is true that the least power disparity in the world is that between the, uh, the state and the citizen, assuming, of course, that the state doesn't have the citizen in jail. But sort of, uh, and, and assuming, of course, it's not a totalitarian dictatorship, uh, and assuming that uh, it's not a small tribe where you can't get away. There's lots of factors, right, wherein you might have a parenting that is less restrictive than the state, right? So you might have parenting in Russia under Stalin, where the parents were relatively um, benevolent and kind, whereas the state is just out and out, savage, murderous, virus destruction, and all that. So I would say that the state and the parents intermingle. In general, though, the state has less power in a relatively free society. The state has less power over the individual than parents do because you can always move away, you can go off the grid, you can uh, work for cash, you know, all these sorts of things. You can minimize your taxes. and Of course, I pay 
uh, 50%, 60% taxes, actually about 60%, 65% taxes uh, from my income, but I feel just about infinitely more free than I did when I didn't pay taxes as a child and was under the thumb of crazy mom, crazy dad, and uh, as I got older, crazy brother. That was always under his thumb, but it wasn't his moral responsibility until he got older. So, I mean, just going by my own subjective experience, I would rather pay 65% taxation and be free to live with Christina and have a great life and play sports and, and do free domain radio and so on, read books, without a fear of emotional or physical abuse. I would rather have that than to have lower taxation if I would like... I would rather have that than have no taxation but be forced to live with my mom. I mean, that would be uh, just my particular moral calculus. I would rather work hard and spend less than have more money and be under the thumb of a uh, crazy mom. So... I would say that in a relatively free society, the state has less uh, power over you than your parents do when you're a child, but, and this is a fairly significant but, there's still no capacity for the average citizen to even remotely affect the nature and policies of the state. No chance, no way, no how. If you want to run a tax revolt, and see how well you do against the IRS, the police, and the military, I would say that, that that would be an irrational thing to do. Citizens have, at best, a pistol, uh, automatic weapon, maybe uh, AK-47. Governments have hundreds of billions of dollars of military hardware. Uh, they have SCUDs. They have nuclear weapons. They have weapons of mass destruction. They have aircraft carriers, nuclear submarines. They really are not going to have any trouble overwhelming any recalcitrant aspects of the civilian population. So it's a little tough for me to understand what is meant by the idea that uh, the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. In other words, that you have to keep watching the state and make sure it doesn't grow. Because the state, of course, is always founded on the principle of taxation, whether it's a small amount of tariff and excise tax, taxation as went on in early America, or whether it's more, who knows. But the fact of the matter is that the state is predicated on the power of taxation, and the power of taxation herds a lot of money to the state, where it then disappears from view. And nobody can track what is going on with state finances, and the couple of people who try, at least up here in Canada, regularly go quite mad trying to figure out why or where the money is all gone. I mean, there's no receipts. It's all lies. It's, I mean, it's just it's a slush fund. The whole of government funding is a, is a slush fund. So once the money gets transferred through the power of coercion to the government, it's really hard to sort of figure out why, uh, how, how it is that a citizen can affect what the government does with it. I'm not sure how the citizen can affect what the government does with things like the Fed. Can you and I stage a protest and get the Fed to change its interest rates? Can you and I stage a protest to end the war in Iraq? I mean, we saw the biggest anti-war protest in the history of mankind on the imminence of the war in Iraq in '03, and they did uh, precisely squat. So it's a little hard for me to understand what it is uh, that people mean when they say that citizens need to control their government, and if the government grows, it's the fault of the citizens. What I would like to offer is, uh, for people who have this, um, this idea, what I would like to offer is a sort of a test case, like a test bed. Uh, you know, you, you don't want to take on the state uh, all at once. What you want to do 
is you want to try and take on uh, those uh, things which are closer to you, those things which are more accessible to you. So if you feel that human corruption is sort of controllable by your uh, words and stirring speeches and whatever, and that you can somehow make the state a better place or a less abusive uh, social agency through your letter-writing and pamphleteering and stirring conversational abilities and so on, I think that's great. But I would say that it probably is not a good idea to start with the state. I mean, that's a pretty ambitious thing to do, in my opinion. I think where you want to start is, first of all, of course, you want to make sure that there's no corruption in your own personal relationships. That would be sort of the lab that I would start with. You know, you start off small, you know, baby steps, so to speak, before you take on the entire mammoth infrastructure of the uh, nearly omnipotent state. Just start with your own personal relationships. Now, if you can change people's uh, minds, if you can make your family, your extended family, your neighborhood, your friends, your co-workers, uh, uh, your lovers, uh, whatever, if you can make all of those people uh, give up corruption and be moral, rational agents, fantastic. Then what I would do is just start a little bigger, right? And then start to, to your neighborhood, like a couple of blocks, uh, maybe your school. Uh, you just start small. And then, if you're able to pull all of that sort of stuff off, the next thing that I would take on, if I were you, would be organized crime. Well, you could start off with criminals as a whole, but uh, assuming that you've maybe gotten uh, the good majority of the uh, thieves and rapists and the disorganized criminals, right? I mean, let's say, but I would, I would go, if you really want to start to figure out whether you can, uh, just through your words, right, just through protests, just through uh, writing articles or whatever, right, just through making speeches and interacting with people, then what you need to do is you need to take on the mafia or the Hells Angels or something, and you need to sort of go in there and, and make your speeches, and you need to um, uh, tell them about how they need to uh, relinquish their evil power, and if you can do that, like if you've eliminated uh, all of that uh, in, in your life and, and in your neighborhood and in your town and in your province or state or your country, if you've managed to, to talk everyone out of being corrupt, uh, but you still have the state to go, then I, for one, would like, I would be all, all, all ears to hear about that. I think that would be absolutely fascinating. It would be a wonderful thing to hear about. It would be something that is the holy grail of philosophy, the ability to change people's minds in a predictable manner uh, through a mere conversation. It's the, uh, it's the holy grail of Socrates and every one of us who's come after him. So I would just be fascinated to hear about that. Because uh, even, if, uh, uh, even if you decide that uh, you, you, you can't use weapons, which to me would be a reasonable thing, so if you can um, shrink the mafia significantly, like if you can make the mafia smaller, by talking to them and by, you know, the eternal uh, price of the price of liberty is eternal vigilance, but forget about the state. That's like a long way down the road. Deal with your friends, your family, your neighborhood, your your local criminals, and then uh, deal with your, your maybe the police a little bit, but uh, maybe that's too much like the state. I maybe wait, wait until later. But the real key one for me would be, uh, obviously, your family. I, I'd be fascinated. Wonderful. I mean, if you could figure out a way to make your family rational moral agents and not be, uh, you know, corrupt or, or, or mean or negative or abusive or, or withdrawn or hostile or uh, sarcastic or nihilistic. If you can do that, I mean, I'm all ears already. But the one that will really impress me is that if you can talk down the size of the mafia uh, significantly, uh, then I think uh, you are an absolute god among men and I will uh, worship you until the day I die. 
But if you do have a little bit of trouble, say, talking down organized crime and, and, and converting people away from uh, being drug dealers uh, and, and uh, uh, being uh, extortion artists and, and uh, gamblers, and, and uh, if, you, if you have trouble uh, talking down the sides of the mafia, which is far, far, far less well-armed than the state is. I mean, the Mafia doesn't have nukes and scuds and aircraft carriers and atomic submarines and so on. So, if you're having trouble talking down the size of the Mafia, then it seems to me a little hard to understand why you then say that where we should start is with the state. Right? The state is the biggest, right? The state is, is the Goliath of social institutions dedicated to violence. The Mafia is absolutely inconsequential relative to the state, even though the Mafia at the moment gets an enormous amount of uh, encouragement from the state. Uh, I've never had any problems with violent crime other than from my family, but I am having 65% of my income stripped from me, so it's a little hard for me to worry too much about the Mafia. So the Mafia relative to the state should be a cinch, it should be a breeze, it should just be a, you know, a huff and a puff and uh, down they fall. But if uh, somebody uh, is, is sort of balking a little bit at uh, taking on the Sopranos and talking them uh, out of being uh, criminals by uh, force of words and personality alone, if you're hesitant about doing that, then it's a little hard for me to understand what the hell you're talking about when you talk about citizens controlling the state. Also, of course, the Mafia doesn't have propaganda, right? Mafia doesn't uh, sit you down uh, for 14 years and tell you about how wonderful the Mafia is and how the, all the Mafia is concerned about is all the good, uh, sweet, uh, nice things in society. And so it's, it should be a, a complete uh, walk walkover uh, compared to the state. Yet I don't really see that people start who, who have these ideas, and there are lots of people out there. Um, this is uh, one of the addictions of minarchism in particular, the idea that we should somehow blame citizens for the growth and power of the state with no recognition of the power disparity, the propaganda, the violence capacities, the gulags, the, the weaponry, the uh, self-interest, the, I mean, the, the uh, corruption of uh, politicians and police force and military and all that. The idea that it somehow is the fault of citizens that the state grows and becomes more dominant and brutal to me, it's sort of exactly the same as saying that it is the fault of a four-year-old if his mother is an alcoholic. And to expect that the uh, citizens are able or should be able to or should have a moral ideal of controlling the growth and power of the state is to me very similar, as I mentioned on the boards, to demanding that the four-year-old uh, discipline uh, the mother. It's, or, or, it's absolutely... Uh, a lunatic idea. Uh, you, you and I have no capacity to affect the state at all. What you and I can do is to spread as uh, powerfully and passionately and positively as we can. We can spread the truth about the state because the only thing that is going to bring down the state in the long run is the argument for morality. And so we keep working and working and working at that. But the idea that we can have a state and not end up in this state is completely delusional. And it's just completely delusional. I mean, as I've mentioned before, the great U.S. experiment in minarchist government lasted less than 100 years before descending into uh, 
the War of Northern Aggression, as it's called. I mentioned that it was a civil war, which grew, uh, drew some umbrage from those in the South who uh, said that it was not a civil war because it was not a united country as yet, and that the right of succession was uh, in the Constitution and blah, blah, blah. So perfectly happy to, uh, to uh, correct that. Uh, sorry for uh, trivializing it or, or giving it the wrong label. That's uh, force of habit, I guess. But the idea that we have any capacity to control the state is just mad. There's no history in the world of anyone ever being able to control the state. You can't. How could you conceivably control the state? The state has the power of taxation, pays the military, pays the police, has the law courts, has a monopoly on the prison system, can throw you in jail and turn uh, and, and uh, throw you in jail and throw out away the key, pretty much for the rest of your natural-born life with barely any um, particular uh, process, a due process, especially now in America in particular, with the Patriot Act and Patriot Act II. So it's sort of hard to understand how it is that we're supposed to be the tail wagging the dog here. It's a little sort of... I've, I've, I mean, people sort of make this stirring speeches, you know, the, the, the tree of liberty is watered with the blood of tyrants. And all this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's great. You know, it's a, it's a nice sermon, but, you know, we are talking a little bit about the real world here. And so it's a little hard for me to understand how people can, can uh, blame uh, citizens for the growth of the state. Certainly it's uh, something I've been opposing for 20 years, so it's hard for me to say that I'm somehow morally culpable for the growth in state power. Now, the real question, of course, then becomes, why would people have such a silly idea? Well, I would say, because everything is related to the family, as, as you uh, may have heard me mention a couple times, the reason that people have this idea is because they take ownership for uh, being uh, uh, having violence or, or uh, emotional or physical abuse uh, inflicted on them as children. So they have taken to an extreme degree personal responsibility and used it, used an extreme and perverted sense of personal responsibility to attempt to overcome uh, the moral horror of experiencing abuse as children. And so they do not recognize that victims exist because they themselves were such a victim and they themselves have rejected their own victimhood irrationally, right? So they, when they were a kid, they sort of, uh, I toughed it out, I, I stiff upper lip, or maybe they don't believe there was any abuse at all. But fundamentally, they have an enormous blind spot in their personality regarding victimhood, legitimate victimhood, and children are always, always, always legitimate victims. And so because they have no capacity to understand victimhood then, or to empathize with their own victimhood, victimhood does not exist for them, right? There is no possibility of being uh, a victim in any interaction. And so when the state is growing, there are no victims. And so if the state is growing and there are no victims, then the responsibility must be the citizens, because the citizens can't be victims of this growth in power, because there's no such thing as victimhood. And so it's blame the victim, because the victim, there is no such thing as a victim, right? So you may have heard this uh, sort of phrase, uh, oh, you just love playing the victim, like playing the victim, right? I mean, this is a pretty common uh, psychological uh, scare story that people sort of throw out to get other people to, uh, to sort of kowtow to bow down to their irrational absolutes. Oh, you, play, you love playing the victim, always playing the victim. Well, it's true, of course, that as an adult, in one's personal, voluntary, choose, choosable relationships, that it's hard to say 
that somebody is a complete victim, as I said at the beginning with the woman whose husband beats her. It's pretty hard to say that this is just a total victim. And it is certainly the case that she is probably going to play the victim and pretend that she has no options, when of course she has far more options um, than when she was a child. But of course, it's also, I think, uh, understandable to see it as being the case that the uh, woman did not learn how to be assertive as a child and was victimized as a child, uh, was never taught how to process it, never learned how to process it, never chose, you could say, of course, to process her victim uh, victimization as a child, and therefore she loses, has no fundamental capacity to choose freely as an adult, so it's complicated. I mean, definitely it all goes back to childhood abuse, which is why it's so important to focus on the young and not so much on those who've been ruined by childhood abuse and, and not uh, have taken the, the steps necessary to recover from it and to heal themselves. But as uh, children, it's always the case that we're victims. As adults, it's complicated, but in general, it's hard to say that we're victims unless it's a specifically medical uh, ailment that's causing uh, sort of visibly corrupt behavior. So if people don't see that there's such a thing as victimhood uh, then uh, in their own childhoods, then they're not going to see anything as victimhood as adults. And this is the sort of, uh, you can do anything. <laughs> this is the empowerment stuff that... Uh, is sort of empowering people like, uh, you know, holding up a light bulb and having it get struck by lightning, thinking that it's just going to glow brighter rather than explode, right? I mean, the, there is such a thing as, as too much empowerment, right? Uh, for instance, I try not to take any responsibility for getting older or being bald. <laughs> I mean, it's just going to happen as a biological thing, and, and uh, I don't take any, uh, you know, <laughs> I like to sing, and I'm not a bad amateur singer, but I'm not going to go out there and claim the stage of the Met, despite the fact that uh, I might feel empowered to do so. Right? There are lots of limitations on these sorts of things. And so uh, there's such a thing as too much empowerment, right? It's going to be limited by reality, which is important, I think. So I would say to people who believe that it's important or morally justified to blame citizens for the growth in power of government, that uh, if they don't really like the idea of taking on a much smaller entity like the mafia, then they might use that fear that they have of taking on the mafia and maybe not throw out so much bravado about how brave they are relative to the state, which they know isn't going to listen, can't budge and pace, no, shows them no particular personal danger because they're not doing much about it, they might want to sort of imagine that they're going to take on the mafia verbally, uh, unarmed, and uh, cause it to become a, uh, a good institution. And then if they feel a certain amount of trepidation about that, then they can use that trepidation to uh, begin to empathize with their own fears uh, that they experienced when they were children and were dealt with in a brutal or unproductive manner. That would be my, my, my suggestion of, of how to approach that kind of stuff. And I think that if you do that and you begin to have some empathy for what you experienced when you were a child, then I would say that you're probably going to be in a much better uh, sort of frame of mind to begin the process of understanding why you can't morally blame those who have about a bazillion guns uh, pointed at them for handing over their shekels, and that the only way to solve this is not to blame the helpless and relatively disarmed taxpayers, but to focus on the core uh, moral sinew that holds up the state, which is so a core power sinew which holds up the state, which is the false argument for morality. If you focus on that, then you will have a great deal of, I think, power and effect, but you will have to give up uh, justifications for state power, and you will have to give up blaming those 
who have been victimized by state power. And I think if you're able to do that, you'll have a much more productive time of things. Plus, you know, to empathize with your own experiences as a child can, I think, be enormously beneficial in terms of helping you be happy and free and loving and affectionate as an adult. So I hope that's been helpful. I'm going to stop a little bit early here. I feel like I've exhausted the topic, if not your patience. So I uh, look forward to your responses. Uh, please come by. Thanks. Got another donation today. $25. Very nice. So uh, please drop by freedomainradio.com and uh, hurl me some yen. I would uh, really appreciate it. And I will talk to you soon. Thanks so much for listening.